Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered. We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From systemic trauma to abusive power to the unspoken rules of cover-ups and corruption, Mandy Irby and Phoebe will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing humanity back to medicine. Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of the Pulse Check Podcast. I'm Hehe. And I'm Mandy. And today we are diving into the Supreme Court case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization in Mississippi. Now, I have a special interest in this case because I am originally from Mississippi. I grew up in Mississippi and spent my first 24 years of life down there. So I may be in Boston now, but that's only in the last few years that I moved up here. So when we are talking about restrictive women's health policies, it strikes such a chord with me because I didn't know any different until I was literally 25, 26 years old. And I had moved out of the South and I started to realize like, wow, things look very different in different parts of our country. And in 2016 is when I became a doula and I just dove head first into that. And this court case is so unbelievable to me because we are truly going back in time to a place where oh my gosh, women just have no rights at all. And it is so embarrassing to me because the entire world is watching and we are viewed upon as leaders. And there are other countries making forward progress while the U.S. is making backwards progress. And it just makes me want to like rattle the the U.S. and say like, what are we doing? Like get it together, guys. We have got to get it together. And that I think is what we want to dive into. We want to talk about what does that immediate impact look like on an individual level, kind of at a local, what is going to change with your individual access, and then kind of zoom out and look at it from like an entire nation standpoint and, and a deeper level of maybe where our roots came from in this country and how that impacts things that are still happening today. So Mandy, let's first tackle the topic of safety. That is a big thing. Everyone wants to talk about safety and abortions are actually very safe. ACOG says that they are safe procedures and when things go wrong, it's very, very rare. But I think on a deeper level, people want to argue that if we ban abortions, then they will go away. People will just carry out all these pregnancies that otherwise would have been aborted and that's not true. We know that banning abortion doesn't make them go away. It just makes them be done unsafely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. In the conversation of being safe, I do want to reiterate, and I can like see 
the broader picture because I didn't do the intro. So thank you, Hee Hee, that abortions are healthcare. Abortions are essential. They are reproductive healthcare. They are part of it, whether we agree, believe, don't agree, don't believe they're there. And I have seen firsthand inside of reproductive healthcare as a professional and as a nurse that there are a lot of different names for them and they pop up in so many different situations that most folks are very caught off guard by, by that fact and that decision. And sometimes it feels like it's not a decision and it's so nuanced. So it is not just what we're thinking it is at Planned Parenthood, totally nuanced topic. And it is also essential for um, any folks with the ability to get pregnant. So anyone with a uterus that doesn't identify as women, we can call it women's health. We can call it reproductive health. We can call it uterine health. It's anyone who has the potential for pregnancy in the future or in the past. And, and it's also going to affect every single person in the country, whether you are reproducing or not, whether you don't have a uterus, if you live here, it will affect you. And yeah, banning it won't stop it. Just like banning cannabis didn't stop folks from smoking, selling, growing cannabis. It just criminalized it. And that I think is the point here is to criminalize a certain set of folks looking for safe reproductive healthcare. And it's not really, it's not really about like, let's stop abortions. That's not, that's not really what it's about. I don't think. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. we'll so get bad. into that part, but yeah, this is not going to stop. Like the healthcare needs to continue and it's either going to be called something else. It's going to be done by clinics that have fronts, right? That they're going to be providers that are going to have to be stick their necks out to continue to provide the healthcare that they've been trained to provide to save lives and to support the autonomy of their clients. And I know that it will continue to happen. It will just, it will just be really scary. It'll just be like, folks can't come in for complications because they're not going to be able to trust who they're getting care from. And it already looks really scary when you have the like whistleblower or like, what's that called in Texas where like your neighbor could just like sue you or take you to court or fine you for rumblings about receiving reproductive health care. That shit's, that shit's scary. And that's why I think the point, one of the reasons is to, is divisive, is to get us to attack each other here in like the, you know, the majority of, of citizens in the U.S. And if you're out there thinking like, well, this probably, you know, isn't going to pass. We have to think like laws do already exist that are similar to this, the same kind of underground type of care, just so people can access the whole spectrum of, you know, reproductive health Mm -hmm. happens in midwifery, right? Like Mm -hmm. states do have home birth that is illegal. And there are these underground like care providers that will still do things that are the hundred percent, you know, part of the spectrum and they, they do it safely, but it is criminalized. Can you imagine right. having the diagnosis that your baby is incompatible with life? That means they are not going to be able to survive on the outside and you're still forced to carry out that pregnancy. And if you choose to terminate, it's criminalized. Like that is, that's crazy to even say out loud. Mandy, can you give us some examples of times that people would need a medical termination? Yeah, sure. Anyone that wants one. 
is a need for a termination. And I guess a medical termination would be like a pregnancy in the fallopian tubes, which is potentially life-threatening for the person owning the fallopian tubes. And another would be, I think it's called a mis miscarriage or a missed abortion where the pregnant person is, their life is at risk for infection and sepsis because the miscarriage is not being passed. Like they're not going into labor. And so they have a miscarriage and it, it's not starting labor. And so it's just kind of staying in the body and the body is not trying to expel it. And that can cause a fatal infection. And that would be considered a reason why you would go to the hospital and get care. I'm all over the Roe v. Wade TikTok streets. And there's creators telling stories about other countries where uh, abortion is illegal and in healthcare, they just can't do anything. And they just say, okay, you're going to die. Do you want to do it here? Do you want to go home? And they like, can't, they can't induce labor because that would be like, I, I think it's bullshit. I don't, I think it's a miscarriage and it, it is what it is. Like it's, it's now threatening the life of the person with the uterus and whose body it's in, but they can't do anything about it. So it's times like those that I think folks don't see until you're in it. And then, you know, some folks just say, well, this is medical procedure. This is not the same thing. Like you can qualify, call it whatever you want, but there are definitely times where the, the body that the pregnancy is in it, their life is at risk, could be at risk or could be at risk postpartum. So they aren't in a situation where they can have a baby. They aren't in a situation where they can come back and give birth safely. There's anomalies going on and it's, it's unknown what's going to happen in the future. And they just don't want to be pregnant. This could be a problem with the person's like a healthcare issue with the person's body that pregnancy puts them at higher risk for. So heart conditions, lung conditions, infections, um, cancers, there's a variety of conditions where pregnancy would endanger the life of the pregnant person. And so they just would choose not to go forward with the pregnancy because they have other kids, other reasons to live. They just don't want to. There's a so many, so many reasons why this is just normal healthcare it is just part of it. I didn't know. And I, I remember the first few rooms that I walked into and I had to really grapple with, no one was saying, um, what it was. Sometimes I would care for patients and we weren't calling it what it was. And I would have to like, okay, if I carry the one and I add over here and I said, wait a second. <laughs> okay. Now I know what this is. I know what we're doing and I'm already taking care of this person. Like what kind of care does this person need? And it was this evolution for me in in my practice at the bedside of how, okay, well, this is how I felt about it. Like yesterday, this is how I thought I felt about it. This is how the church I grew up in, you know, definitely feels about it. My whole family, they are like picketing Planned Parenthoods while I was growing up. And I saw all of that. So when you say like, you're from the South, you don't need to be from the South to see all kinds of crazy stuff. (laughs) And I'm in this room and I'm like, oh my God. Okay. So now I'm an abortion care person. Okay. A nurse who cares for folks who have terminations. And here we are, you know, folks would sometimes look at me and like, 
have what looked like shame or guilt, guilt, because I wasn't (laughs) trying to put any shame on anyone. They would not look me in the eye for a while, or they would not want to talk or introduce themselves. And, you know, they're going through a lot, just like any person that I came across when I was at the bedside. And I would love to tell them that I chose to take care of them because I did. And I like looked for that because I was happy to support, you know, whatever care I could provide for whatever folks were going through in their reproductive journey. And that seemed to positively affect some because, you know, I didn't know I was walking into that that day and neither did they, right? They didn't choose to have the day that they were having, but here we are. And we're both like, oh, wow, this is going to be a hard day. Obviously not that hard for me, right? But it's it's something that we can have emotions about and still support reproductive health care and the safety of our community. And that's that's why it's not going away because we're going to have caregivers and providers and facilities are going to find a way to support folks and they're going to find a way to do it safely. They're just going to find a way to do it illegally. And sometimes there's, there's definitely going to be less and less of those. And they're definitely not going to be accessible for everyone, especially not poor, black, brown, indigenous communities, communities that already don't get the support that they need. They already live in healthcare deserts. You've, you've mentioned that in a lot of communities before they're the ones who are not going to be able to get that access. So again, another little like evidence of it's not about this. It's about hurting those communities the most. This is one way to do that. I think there's a big piece in separating like what's good for you or what you believe as a person, as an individual versus like what is good for the entire nation in the healthcare of that. Like we already live in a nation where we have such high maternal mortality. Why Mm -hmm. would we take away access of something that keeps people safe. I do want to touch on just quickly the management options that people have when it comes to um, abortions, any kind of abortion. So not medically, you know, necessary or elective, just these are your options. You can wait for the body to naturally expel it. You You can have a medical managed abortion, or you have a surgical management option, which is known as the DNC. And it, it does require general anesthesia. One thing to know about the medical option that you have though, is the most effective option that we have when it comes to medical managed abortions is actually a combination of two drugs, misoprostol, which is used in birth, but mifepristone too is that second part. And it's really hard to get already because of restrictive law. So if other states continue to, or decide to ban abortion as well, that's only going to decrease, you know, the access to one of our most safe options and, you know, best option that decreases the risk that you're going to need further surgical management on top of this. I learned a lot of this from Dr. Marta Perez on Instagram, and you can find her just at Marta Perez. But yeah, I I think that people often think that abortions are this like, really gruesome and brutal procedure. And that's not what 
most of them look like. It's also worth noting that elective abortions make up a very small percentage of the overall number of abortions. Most abortions are done for reasons that will either save that person's life who is pregnant or because, you know, there is something with the baby that makes them incompatible with life. Yeah. It's just so much to think about. So Mandy, zoom in out. You touched on it already, but <laughs> help us consider what this bird's eye view looks like for communities that are already, oh my gosh, crazily underserved, continue to speak up for themselves and then are silenced. And it's just an ongoing thing. But a lot of this is because the roots of our country lie there, but how come we can't move past that? How come we can't? Uh, <laughs> racism, <laughs> paternalism. Yeah. I, I don't know why we can't. I believe you and I talked right before we got on the packing of the Supreme Court years ago, a couple years ago was the reason. I believe, you know, this is the reason that that happened among others. And I am following the lead of Black, Brown, and Indigenous activists. I find them on it. TikTok mostly. And there's some on, I move over and watch them on Instagram as well. And I add the books that they recommend to my Audible. And I am like just digging my way out of the information from growing up in an all white you know, community and racist background, racist education, the regular public school, the whole white women common story. And, you know, state public education went through nursing school, went through the hospital, unlearning uh, all that. So I'm not someone who talks on this topic, nor am I someone who leads the charge, but that's where I'm learning my information and getting perspective on why I'm not following any white women-led uh, marches or Mother's Day Off, whatever those are called. The I'm not going to go to a rally until I hear that it's led and promoted by Black activists because they have a, his a strong history of getting shit done. If you look at the South, um, Georgia voting Democrat this year, where Black activists doing that over the last many years. And that's where we should be learning from. They are inclusive and their intersectional views and leadership is the only way that we can get out of the shit that we've gotten ourselves in. And I say that because half, over half of white women voted, um, for an oppressive president, right? A couple years ago. So I can't rely on them to <laughs> find the answers for this. And I can't trust them that they suddenly know what they're doing because most of the information that they're getting and watching are emulated from black, brown, and indigenous activists and leaders. So I'm trying to learn from them and follow them, do what they tell me to do, which is to listen and look around and see what's going on and see how this is perpetuating racism and perpetuating the divide between the rich and the poor. It's multiplying a poor class, which is the public school to prison pipeline. And that, that's what our country was founded on. So the young, rich, Christian, white, cis men who wrote the constitution, which the Supreme Court is like, 
somewhere in there, abortion's illegal. They had slaves doing all their work. Okay. So when they wrote this, they wrote it for themselves and for their families, but mostly for themselves and each other. I don't identify as that. The majority of folks in the U.S. don't identify as that. And that's not for us. But again, they had slaves doing all of their work, all of their labor, all of their children rearing, raising, and they're abusive and oppressive and worse. So that's the discussion around abortion laws and overturning Roe v. Wade is not about whether abortion's right or wrong. It's not about whether it's murder. It's not about whether the Supreme Court should be trusted because it was leaked. All of this was intentional, it seems. And it's this story. It's this distraction, but it is divisive. And you and I know the second we start talking about abortion, the second we start talking about reproductive rights, autonomy, we start losing followers. We start getting angry DMs. We start getting hate comments. It's the most activating topic. And so they're the government, politicians, the money in the country are going to activate that power in order to get what they want, which is money and power. So that's what this is. It is not, should I be able to take the pill? Should I be able to take plan B or find it? It's it's not that. It's, it's not about what we think it's about. It's not about, are we killing babies? Not at all. And I'm like, who thinks that anyone wants to do that? <laughs> it's bizarre, <laughs> right? Like I get DMs and they're like, well, I don't agree with killing babies. I'm like, who are you talking to? What are we even talking about? Who said that? It's, it's beyond me. It's, it's so baffling. Like you said, how are we even talking about this? It's so baffling that I'm like, it is not about that. That's what the church tells you. That's what the Christian politicians, like they have these platforms to get the story out there to help folks connect and boy, have folks connected. That's not what it's about, but it is a logistics issue. Fucking huge logistics issue. Like you said, he, he, like, how the fuck are we going to get it? How are we going to get these pills? We got to use the internet. We've got to use our connections. We've got to use our community to get healthcare that folks in our community need that we need that our children will need safely, effectively, efficiently, and affordably. So there is a huge logistics issue of, and I really love transparency around it. And I like, I I would love to answer any questions about it because I am learning myself. Like I just looked up, we have two clinics in our area and it is like around a thousand dollars at one place. Like you can go and get, if you're early enough and you've tested and you are pregnant, which I hope that folks are testing. I got, I got tested at the dollar store. So they were a dollar 10 or a dollar 25. I hope that that's accessible and folks can test early. If that's, if that's an accessibility issue, then we need to be talking about that because it's cheaper and easier on the body and on the uh, pocketbook. If you can get pills early, we have two clinics in our area. One like says right on the front page, Hi, we're all about your choice. We believe you can make the right choice for your body. We're here to help you with an abortion. Like, oh, awesome. And then it goes down. And if you want like pain medication or if you need a surgical procedure, like you said, like outpatient and pain medication, which I'm like, why is this not standard? 
there's some issues with it. <laughs> it's like seventeen hundred dollars. I was like, shit. Or sometimes there's like ways that nonprofits cover grants can cover it. Like, that sounds complicated. And if I'm ten weeks, I can't do complicated, right? So I'm just thinking like there are still a fuck ton of barriers. So, so what I'm doing is fucking following all of the black, brown, indigenous activists that I can on all the platforms and sharing their stuff and like amplifying their stuff because that's who we need to be learning from. They can get shit done and they don't need my voice to do it. They don't want my voice to do it. I am just learning and doing what they say and will activate if called to, when called to, when I see a time appropriate to activate that is helpful. But I'm trying to be really careful with that and like following my leaders. Two, I am learning in my own community about what's going on. So I texted a friend immediately. And like you said, in a state where there's underground midwives, I know underground midwives. And I was like, so intrigued by it. Like, how do you get clients? And she's like, word of mouth. I'm like, oh my God. But also like how powerful is word of mouth? So I texted a friend immediately in North Carolina and was like, Hey, I have two abortion clinics in my area, which now I want to go support because I want them to stay standing. Right. And I want them to stay accessible. I don't want their prices to go up. I don't want the barriers to increase for them to stay standing and accessible because like some people can drop a thousand dollars. Some people can't, most people can't. So now I'm like, okay, well, how do I figure out how I can be active in those institutions so that I can support them staying standing and let folks know in a state that probably has an automatic ban in place for if this law passes, I want them to know that I might still have accessibility where I am. So just having the conversation with folks that I know and being really clear, like, this is what I can offer. This is what I can help with. Let me know. This is what I have access to. And then finding out access online. Like right now I have uh, reproductiverights.org and their movement is hashtag abortion is essential. June, Jane, something like that. It was like by mail. And I looked at my state and my state qualifies for by mail, like plan B or by mail, whatever, um, plan C. And just knowing that stuff because I don't need it right now. So I have the capacity to like learn about it, read about it, talk about it, and then sharing with my friends. Hey, I just learned about this thing. Most people don't know until they're in it. So having heard about it, sharing that information, I think is really important. And so voice right now is, is what I'm being told is helpful. So sharing facts, learning the information and talking about real information like you and I are doing right now. We don't know everything. We're not the leader. We're not the leaders of this movement, but we're trying to support in, in productive ways. And then writing to my representatives. So I wrote them back when the Momnibus Act was being passed. I wrote to three and I found a site that like already had stuff written. So that's what I'm trying to do is finding sites that already have stuff written where I can just plug in my information. And they all wrote me back. So I have an email address that I could just reply to and just be like, hey, fuckers, this is important to your constituents. I'm your constituent. And that's it. It's just mass nail is the point. I'm not going to spend like a ton of time because that would keep me from doing it a ton of time, like drafting something. I'm either going to use a draft that I can already find, or I'm just going to reply with like three lines of don't let this shit go down. This is bullshit. And the state needs to keep 
this legal and then being quiet and listening and learning and not blindly like following the shiniest thing that I see that's coming up, which usually in my space led by white folks, usually white women, that's usually not going to get us there. You can always call your representatives too. You can look up their phone numbers and leave them messages or continue to call until you um, get to speak to somebody. Also, we will link Plan C and Hey Jane in the comments. So if you are needing access to abortion support and you live in a state that's really restrictive, check out these online options and you know use your resources. If you have trusted people who live in states that these online care support options do mail to it it's a scary time out there for people who are reproducing just humans it's time for humans <laughs> living life and it's hard to do that it's hard to get child care for that trip to another state it's hard to leave work for that trip to another state yeah this is the access that we're talking about this is making it difficult Oh, you know, the other thing I'm doing, he, he is what? intentionally working and intentionally not working. So like my, my face, when we started this, I'm like oh, fucking over it. It's just heavy. The same heavy it's been for the last two years, the same heavy it's, it is when another shooting comes out the same heavy, it feels very frequently heavy. So I'm trying to, I mean, literally when I, open up TikTok. That's it. That's all there is. It's just every single person talking about this. And that's good. It's really, really good. But it's also really, really a lot. So I'm turning off my phone. And while I say like, hey, you should consume a lot of information and learn from Black creators, you should. And then you should like not do that all day long because it is a lot just keep space for your own mental health, right? So increments, you know, take it in in spurts that feel manageable because some of the stuff is going to make you feel sad, you know, make you cry, make activating. You kind of spiral a little bit. It is activating. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's activating for a lot of people. And I'm really sorry about that. I should have said that at the beginning. Hey, <laughs> thanks for this conversation. He, he, I think it's important. And even though you and I did not know exactly what we were going to talk about today, we trust that we can talk about hard topics and we should be modeling that also in um, similar spaces. So if you would like to talk about this with us, we'll hear you. We won't agree with you always, Maybe. but we'll totally hear you and <laughs> have a conversation on the podcast. You can find a link to request to be a guest at Pulse Check dot podcast on Instagram. Bye y'all. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes, and burnout, which leads to costly loss of talent. How much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out? If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.